Xavier, I'd be rich if I had a dollar every time I heard someone say, man, I wish I knew 20 years ago what I know today about money. They need to be teaching about this stuff in school. Like the power of investing early. Compound interest. That alone would impact lives. Understanding and planning for taxes. Understanding the difference between both good debt and bad debt. Eric, what about all the stuff about money that business owners need to know? What kind of insurance should you be buying? The importance of contributing towards your retirement. They don't teach any of this stuff in school. Y'all sit back, get ready, because we are talking stuff about money they didn't teach you in school that you need to know. Welcome back to Stuff About Money They Did Not Teach You in School. I'm Xavier Angel, Certified Financial Planner. And joined with my guest, Eric Garcia, certified financial planner. How are you today, Eric? So now I'm your guest. I didn't say guest, did I? Call me your guest. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. my co-host. You show up. You, you, when you show up, you you, you demote me to your guest. Uh, it, I I got to take control sometime. That's all right. That's okay. I don't mind. I, I can so take it. My co-host, Eric Garcia, certified I'll be your, I'll financial be your guest planner. any day, Xavier. I'll be your guest any day. I'm doing good, man. It's a little cold for me. Um, I love this time of year. We're recording, what is it, late November. It's a little little, little chilly for me, but I was talking to a client up in um, Minnesota this morning where it's like 16 degrees. So, 16, and I think they got snow yesterday as well. I think so. So I, I guess- somewhere up north. I'll take 60, but it's still a little, little cold uh, for mm-hmm. me. I, I could use a little bit of snow. Yeah. No, not no, the no. cold weather, but the not, snow. Not in New Orleans. I'll go visit it, but not here. Anyway, we, we do have a guest today. I am your co-host, but we do have a guest today, and I'm, I'm excited to, to share, uh, introduce you all to our guest, Inman Houston. Inman is the president and C, uh, CEO of BCM, Baptist Community Ministries, here in New Orleans. BCM, I think it might be like one, one of the, the larger, if not the largest philanthropic organization here in New Orleans in terms of the amount of money that is uh, uh, granted to, to different organizations. But Inman has been with BCM, I think, since uh, 2022, middle of 2022. But before that, spent time, spent time, make it sound like he was in prison. He wasn't, he wasn't in prison that I know of. Spent time as, as a pastor, doing a lot of civic work. Um, I know he was in New Orleans in uh, post-Katrina, doing a lot of work here in New Orleans post-Katrina. But Inman, welcome to the show. Give us like uh, some more interesting facts about you that I didn't, that I didn't hit on. So one thing is I'm very low tech. And uh, so as evidenced by the fact that right as we started, I dropped the call. But um, yeah, I'm originally from the Atlanta area and have just moved back with my family to New Orleans. And it's, it's great to be back in the city and really excited about a lot of the positive things that I see and really, honestly, I'm engaged in the challenges that are in front of me. So it's very good to be with you. I was excited there for a second. I thought maybe Xavier had promoted me to co-host in my first my first time on air. So uh, I'm a little disappointed now to find out that I'm you just can a be guest. The co-host. All right, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. We can. Um, <laughs> I'll be the guest. Y'all can ask me the questions. Okay. Let, let's start over. Y'all introduce me now. Let's so, introduce me. It, it, and for those uh, that don't know, Inman is oh, man. a Saints fan. So we we I found that out uh, earlier on the call. So all right. So. That's right. That's right. And I respect. Let me just let me just point out. I respect the fact that coming off uh, the season that we've had so far, coming off a game against Atlanta, 
from where you're from, you're still a committed Saints fan, man. So, so absolutely. Um, I love it. Love it. Absolutely. Hat, hats off to you. <laughs> so, so let's go ahead and jump into this. Um, Inman, tell us one thing that you wish you would have been taught in school 20 years ago. About money. Sure. About yes, money. Yes, money. About yeah, money. The long list of things I wish I'd learned 20 years ago, but definitely about money. Um, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, you're never really taught much about budgeting um, and the power in setting and sticking to a budget and and just the amount of money that you can waste when you're not intentional with with what you have in front of you. I look back, there was one period in, in my life and, and my wife and I, neither one of us was making a lot, but we were both working. Our living expenses were incredibly low. And we we were not as committed to budgeting at that phase in our lives. And even with with pretty low income, uh, had we been more intentional, we we would have been able to avoid some, you know, just some financial challenges that we faced kind of in that midpoint of marriage when we started to have kids and we were ready to buy a house and those kinds of things. Uh, and really it was just rooted in not tracking and being intentional about about where the money was going as it came into us. So for me, that that would be a huge piece, um, and I, I'll answer the on the positive side, especially as it relates to giving. I, I think you know some lessons you learn, and you learn them very intentionally from other people. I would say, as it relates to giving, the biggest thing that I did learn was that my my parents were very faithful givers to the church, and my dad would write out his check to the church and put it in the old school envelope with all the boxes that you checked on the front. And he would set it on his dresser in front of a picture of his mentor, and it was ready on Saturday night to be taken to church Sunday morning. Uh, I don't know how much was in it. doesn't really matter, yeah. but it was the intentionality of giving and generosity that was a huge lesson for me that I've carried with me. Yeah. So, so man, you said so much. So, well, I'm, let me jump in before you say that, because um, as, you're, as you're talking about intentionality and, and, and budgeting and faith giving... I can see Eric just just he's 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 got that shine about him. He loves it. So everything that you just said are part of uh, his pillars of, of financial That's right. planning. Look at that, man. You are we are singing from not just the same hymnal, man. We're I think we're on the same hymn. Uh, but you talked about knowing where your money's going, man. Tracking your money. Man, that's the biggest thing. Like money you make, that is the building block of wealth. That's the building block of funding whatever you're passionate about. If it's giving, if it's travel, and if you don't track it and you lose track of it, you can't build wealth. So I love that idea of, of being intentional. In fact, tomorrow I am I'm doing a call with uh, a bunch of uh, employees for a client of mine, and we're actually talking specifically about budgeting. And you said a couple things about budgeting, um, and I want to I want to kind of signpost them here for our listeners is. Most people have a really, really hard time budgeting in terms of like that spreadsheet budgeting where I'm going to only spend $333.67 on groceries. But everybody needs to budget for awareness. People need to become aware of how they spend money so they can be intentional on spending money where they want. All right, I'm off my soapbox. This is not about me. I am not the guest. I'm going to remind myself I'm not the guest. I'm just the co-host. We're going to talk about you, Edmund. Uh, I want to. We want to talk uh, a little bit about Baptist Community Ministries, the the work that y'all do. I want to start off by uh, asking uh, about ECM. ECM is a faith based organization. 
Can you help us understand what that means? And does that only mean that you support faith-based nonprofits? And tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, no, great question. And and even backing up a little bit, you know, the name itself hints at a few things. Um, first, the the Baptist that is a nod to our legacy and our history. So we are a private foundation created out of the sale of Southern Baptist Hospital in New Orleans. So in 1925, 26, Southern Baptist in New Orleans wanting to take the teachings of Jesus seriously and, and to see others in the city respond to the teachings of Jesus, believed that healthcare was a way to do that. So they opened a hospital, which ultimately became a large medical center at the corner of Napoleon and Claiborne Avenues. And uh, in 1995 and 96, that hospital was sold to tenant health systems. Um, out of that was a foundation with $153, $156 million in assets immediately. So over the last 27 years, uh, Corpus has grown to, depending on the day, uh, about $350 million. And in that time span, we've been able to disperse um, over $250 million in direct grants. That doesn't even include also money that we invest internally in direct services through chaplaincy and work that we do with churches to to help train health professionals in church context. So all of that frames the work of BCM, but it's it, it's a tip back to you know a group of people. There was a, a city missionary, a lady named Clementine Kelly, and she said, the city's not going to take us seriously if we're not really investing in the, the needs of people. And so that's that's the heart behind the hospital. It's a really, really powerful story. Um, and then we we are a faith-based and distinctly Christian organization. Uh, that doesn't mean that we only fund Christian organizations. We believe that in the in the uh sphere of giving, that there are some things that we do as a means of common grace. And so we we look at organizations and we say, you know, there's nothing antithetical or or that contradicts values that we have. You don't, you know, the uh, organization X doesn't identify the Christian organization, even their programming may not be specifically oriented that way. But our values are not opposed to one another. And and there's great work that's being done that just honors what we would call the image of God that is within every person. So we we don't limit, uh, but we're we're not afraid and not ashamed at all of our identity and and wanting to say that in all that we do, we want to honor and glorify God. Um, and we want to exalt Jesus in what we do. So it's a, to me, it's a really healthy model of moving forward. I think it's part of that, you know, already not yet. As you, as you think about kingdom language, um, that that there's a lot that's already here, but that there's a lot that we anticipate in the future, and that's the that's really the the space that we seek to occupy. When you talk about Clement, what was her name? Clementine Kelly. Clementine, Clementine Kelly. Kelly. Uh, I love the fact that it was. You think about in the early twenties. A woman who couldn't even vote at the time, right? Or maybe was just getting rights That's to right. vote. And her legacy is a $350 million pot of money that has resulted in $250 million given to other organizations. And I would imagine predominantly in, in New Orleans or, or Southern Louisiana area, right? Exclusively. So we only operate within a five parish region. So it's Orleans, Jefferson, Plaquemines, St. Bernard, St. Tammany. You know, honestly, most of the work that we do ends up being East Bank, Jefferson, Orleans Parish, but we're we're engaged where we can be. We we sort of believe that St. Tammany, St. Bernard, Plaquemines, the, a lot of their health and vitality is is dependent upon what's happening 
in New Orleans proper. And so the, the desire is to, to really work from the inside out and seeing the community blessed. So the faith-based organization you, you talked about when she started the hospital and healthcare, that was in line with, with the teachings of Jesus. So draw the connection for me of what does that look like to do work that is in line with the, because a lot of times, I mean, this is what people think when they think of like faith-based, they think of you're just out there to evangelize people. You're just out there to, to turn people in to Christians. But here's a woman who said, no, I'm going to care for people's health from, you know, because that's, I feel that's what I'm driven to do. So make that connection of what does it mean to serve the image of God and people, the teachings of Jesus and connect that to, to giving boatloads of money away to people. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, it, it is tricky. I'm, I'm not going to pretend like it's not. Um, you know, one of our little internal taglines is um, it's it's easy to give away money and it's hard to give away money. And, you know, on, on the one hand, you think, oh, wow, you know, that must be so awesome and so wonderful. But, you know, a lot can go wrong. A lot can go wrong, not only in, in the area of, you know, what you're trying to do, productivity, those types of things, uh, vitality, impact, but also relationally, um, because, you know, that's one of our challenges within the Christian community. Um, you know, we'd love to fund Christian organizations, but it is a challenge that, you know, there there also has to be a track record of success and impact and accountability and sustainability and all of those types of things. And so that can create some relational friction um, with folks that we might read really tight as it relates to values, but maybe aren't at a place yet where they're able to match up to our metrics and the things that we expect. So it can be it can be a difficult thing to do, but I, I think for us we're we we do have we're a little bit unusual as a foundation because we do have two areas of direct services in chaplaincy and what we call congregational wellness, which is uh, a ministry that trains and equips nurses or lay health leaders within churches just to focus on physical health in congregations. So there are some ways in which you know you would say we're more direct hands on, but honestly, you know we we are funding great organizations who are engaged in great causes, and so as much as possible where that can align really tightly with our values, that's wonderful. But uh, you know our our desire is really you know we're rooted in the image of God. You know what 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 does everybody want? Well, you can kind of make a list of what most people say they want. Wait, they want safety in their streets, right? They want to go to bed at night. And yeah, they're going to lock their doors. That's just what you do. But they, they don't want to be afraid in their neighborhood. Um, they want good education. They want impact. You know, for most in, in our context, we want impactful churches. We want meaningful opportunity. We want accessible and affordable health care. I mean, those are just the basic things that people want. And those are very unifying themes. Now, I see those rooted in the pages of scripture, right? I look at Genesis 1, Genesis 2, and and I see all those things. I see Adam and Eve walking in a place that's that's safe. I see them walking in a place where there's opportunity, where there's work to be done. That that work didn't come after the fall. Um, you know, they were called to to be fruitful and multiply before sin ever entered the earth. So for me, you know, I see all of that rooted in the image of God. And there are people who may have a different worldview than I do that that we can agree on those things. We may come at it from vastly different reasons. You know, mine may be, hey, I want to honor and and uplift the image of God that's in each person. Someone maybe who has a naturalist worldview, which would which would you know we would have some differences there. Might look and say, hey, this is all there is, so we better make it as good as it can be, right? But but at the end of the day, 
we can align on a lot of different initiatives. And so it's tricky, it's challenging, but but I think it's one of those intersecting spaces that's, that's a really healthy place for a faith-based Christian organization to occupy. Now, you, you mentioned faith-based and, and nursing in there. And one of the things that I find very interesting, and, and I work with several nurses across the, the state and country, um, some of them are, are with faith, faith-based uh, retirement nursing homes, and, and some are at hospitals. I noticed there is a program that you guys do. It's the uh, church nurse or um, educational program. And um, I believe, if I read correctly, it's built off of the foundation for faith uh, community nursing. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So that's the Congregational Wellness Division. So it's one of our two areas of direct services. And so uh, we have a team of people who who support nurses. So there are some who are, are licensed nurses that are part of our program, others who we call lay health advocates. So those are people maybe that, that have a, a greater degree of understanding of health, might work in a peripheral field surrounding healthcare. Um, and so the idea is to train them and equip them and, and then to release them into a local church to identify ways that they can support physical, emotional, mental, spiritual health within their congregations. Um, and, and so it's, it's just birthed out of that idea of being, you know, a health legacy institution, but believing that, um, you know, that, that, that holistic view of health is so vital and important. You know, a lot of times in churches, we, we do focus on the spiritual nature of things, but sometimes we lose sight of, of the emotional and physical and mental needs that people have. And so that's what we're, we're seeking to address and engage in. We have a fantastic, uh, fantastic team of folks who support over 150 churches in our service region uh, in one of these in one of these two ways? I love that one. So there, there's a couple different, I think, three different uh, areas that uh, you guys focus on in the metropolitan area. Can you elaborate on on what those areas of focus are and tell us a little bit about it? And the second part of it is share with us something one of those that are personally meaningful for to you and and why it's personally meaningful. So our three focus areas are education, public safety, and health. And you know, one of the things that's that's interesting is there's so much overlap among those three areas. And and honestly, you know, we have one open invitation um, uh, type of grant we call it transom grant, and um, we just finished came out of a cycle of that. But, you know, honestly, like as I look at them, I'm like, you know, really, what isn't either education, public safety, or health. I mean, you can kind of, you can kind of mold any, almost anything into those three areas, but that's, that's, those are just the areas that over time we, we believe, and, and we've been consistent with that. We, we, in our original um, grant uh, plan, we had also governmental oversight as one of our, it was a fourth area of interest for us. Uh, we dropped that not because it's not important, but just I think we we saw an ability really to move that some of that into public safety. Um, but man, I love the work that's being done in so many different ways, so many innovative and creative approaches to trying to address significant challenges in our service area. I think a lot of conversation right now is in the public safety sector, and you know and that's where I think too. You you just see this. I, I love both ends. I love where things intersect. I kind of enjoy the hard spaces where where there's just some discomfort and some messiness. And so public safety is one of those places because on the one hand, you know, we have to demand 
that justice in the sense of you know when someone commits an act against another person there there should be consequence for that and so we we understand and recognize that but also you know more proactive and preventative approaches in public safety which i think is is you know those kinds of things that look at hey public safety starts you know from from the womb forward right so it starts with uh, a woman, uh, a pregnant woman receiving good care for her child and a child who's born into a healthy, nurturing environment, who's learning positive lessons, who's being taught, now, whether they're in a religious context or not, just taught to be a, a meaning, you know, a, a citizen who is thoughtful and concerned, um, learning things, being well-educated, having great opportunities, you know, all of that stuff factors in entering into places where all of those things aren't in play and, and finding preventative strategies to address challenges over school breaks and summers, making sure that children have sufficient nutrition. You know, public safety is something that, you know, what, what we see when, when a young man or a young woman begins to, begins to act out and do things that become a harm to society, a lot of that is, is the fruit of many challenges yeah. over the course mm -hmm. of a lifetime. It's their own woundedness. It's their own hurt. It's their own lack of opportunity. Um, yeah, it's the presence of sin too. Okay. Uh, you know, many of those things that I just described, I was fortunate enough that that I didn't need those things. But you know what? I still am tempted to take something that doesn't belong to me. Uh, I still am tempted when I get frustrated or angry to lash out at someone to take, to take you know, revenge on someone. And, and so, in the midst of all of that, yes, you've got this spiritual dynamic, but at the same time, uh, I, I love the way that that our conversation in New Orleans is really taking all of those aspects seriously, introducing the conversation of mental health into the equation, um, and and trying to to really take a step back and look and say, hey, are, am I dealing with a, an issue of violence? Am I dealing with uh, you know an issue of of um, of a need for consequence, or am I dealing with someone who needs help and support. And it's more of a medical issue and medical intervention. So that's a place where we're we're really engaged right now. And it's one that's particularly interesting to me. Okay. Now, you, you talked about uh, being out there and, and, and working with the mother when the child is in the womb and, and moving on. Are there opportunities for individuals to come in and, and, and work on mentoring both in a church and outside of the church? Do you guys put that together to help? Yeah, so we really, um, you know, our work is is more funding and catalyzing than it is engaging directly in the activity. So we we went to a sense of like drawing people together for the conversation to try to to try to be creative and developing solutions. We are not just by design; it's not our role to 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 engage uh, feet first, I guess, in some of that work. So what we're trying to do is be a support and encourager and leverage those people who are doing great work instead of trying to, to replicate or perform the work ourselves. Are dropped calls and poor voice quality slowing down your business communication? It's time you switch to a solution that keeps the team connected seamlessly. Introducing Lightspeed Voice, your gateway to a revolutionary VoIP system designed to elevate your business communications to the next level. With Lightspeed Voice, you get more than just a reliable connection. You get 
feature-rich system that adapts to your business needs, whether it's video, conferencing, virtual voicemail, or call forwarding. Lightspeed Voice, they've got you covered. They got my agency covered at the Insurance Alliance. Worried about the transition? Don't be. Lightspeed Voice offers a seamless integration, making the switch to our VoIP system a breeze. Our expert support team, that's what they're known for, is here to guide you every step of the way, ensuring a smooth and efficient transition for your business. That's right. But that's not all. Lightspeed Voice is not just a communication tool. It's a strategic investment in your business success. It is. Save on your monthly communication costs while enjoying top-notch service. It's a win-win, and it is. You can put that money somewhere else. Don't let outdated communication systems hold your business back. Upgrade to Lightspeed Voice today and experience the difference. Visit our website or call now to schedule a demo and see firsthand how Lightspeed Voice can transform your business communications. Lightspeed Voice, where every word matters and your business is always in sync. CAS approved. So, for, for example, just because it's top of mind, um, we just recently had a, a, a guest on the show, um, Alex Bigby, with uh, Flight Education here in New Orleans. He was one of the organizations that ironically enough, we're having this conversation, was awarded um, some grant money. And he does, to the best of my knowledge, he is not a faith-based organization. I don't know that he is or not. I don't know his, his faith background. But they do financial literacy in low to moderate income household families, and they support small business owners. And it just so happens to be in the city of New Orleans, the majority of their, their cohorts are African-American women. But it's to the point that you said is that if households are able to start businesses and have money and provide a, a better environment mm-hmm. for their kids, well, that could reduce, you know, better health, better, you know, better education, reduce crime, and it's almost like what comes first, right? That's right. That's right. And it's a both end. I mean, you can't you can't only focus on these preventative measures and then not address the realities of what's happening in. in in society culture, but at the same time, you know, if we can take a step back and work into those spaces and be more preventative instead of always being reactive, I, I think it's there's great promise for that. Because you know, I mean, it's interesting because you know, both professionally and personally, I'm, I've worked with a lot of people um, who have, have just been through a lot. They've just they've had a lot of challenges and disadvantages in their lives, um, and you know, there's this point where you're working with them and they're, they're an innocent child who has been, you know, whether it's victimization or just lack of opportunity or some combination of the two. And you look at them and, and your heart goes out to them. But at some point that, that child grows up to be a man or a woman. And at age 26, in spite of all these things that are still the same, all of those factors are still there. All of those challenges are still part of their history. And, and yet, at adulthood, you know, we no longer look at them the same way. But what what is that line? You know, what is that point where we we stop looking at someone and saying, you know what, you you need intervention, you need support, you need encouragement, you need someone to stand with you, you need someone to speak into you and and be a mentor. And and at what point is it? No, you need to face the consequences of your actions. And now you've now you you know, and that I don't know what the answer is to that. Quite honestly, I I've just been a part of that transition and. And the challenge that that comes with it, I think we've got to we've got to be engaged well in both of those places. Is that part of like the um, 
the the I guess the the redemptive nature of Christianity that drives you to say, hey, like like people have dignity. You talked about this earlier. People are created in the image of God. They have dignity. They are redeemable at any stage of the game, and we're going to try to engage along the way, do what we can to support organizations along the way that are looking to redeem. When I say redeem people, I'm not necessarily talking about evangelize people per se, but just like like restore their dignity as as human as human. That's exactly right. That's right. Yeah. As you were talking about public safety, in the back of my mind, I keep thinking about the NOLA coalition. So the mm-hmm. NOLA coalition. I know that y'all are one of the deciders of the NOLA coalition. Yeah. For our listeners who don't know, the NOLA coalition what, was it last year or a couple of years ago? Just some, it was some summer of twenty two. Summer of 22, so it's really not that long ago. Some business owners, some stakeholders in the community, they they basically um, just got fed up with with Chronic in New Orleans and and formed this this coalition. And it seems like a lot of the initiatives that they're driving are all the same things that you were just talking about. So how does how I'm just curious, you know, how is that does that shape or drive some of the work that y'all are looking to do? Or did you just say, oh, look, they're looking, they're doing some of the stuff that we're already doing. Let's connect with them. Kind of what, what came first. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I think a little bit of a both end. Um, you know, I think BCM, other organizations were already in this space even before I got here, you know, just recognizing the, the dual nature of the challenge. I think, you know, Michael uh, Hex with, with Gino Inc., you know, just, just so engaged in community, so involved in conversation. I think, you know, what he did is he was able to pull that together and use his influence and his organization's influence to be able to to pull together folks and and to to bring about investment. Um, and I think some of that too, you know, it it shows the power of partnership. You know, it's one of the things that we're trying to capitalize on is it, it's meaningful for the public to see organizations cooperating together and and moving in the same direction. And sometimes that's just realizing, hey, we're both doing the same thing. So why don't we stand next to each other and and you do it your way, we'll do it our way, but but our goals that we're working toward are similar. But I think it's so meaningful to the public to know that that, you know, it's not just one organization doing this. There's organizations that are partnering together and engaged together or at least rowing in the same direction, right? Um, and so I think GNO Inc. represents a lot of that. And we are wanting to be supportive and encouraging of of you know the goals that they've laid out, and so as we're able to identify, hey, this you know this lines up, we, we're able to engage and be participant with them. We're we're happy to do it. I mean, I'm I'm thankful for the conversation. Uh, I'm thankful for the the people involved and you know the leadership that's going into trying to to pull community together for the best possible outcome. Yeah, for, for those who don't know, Geonoic is an economic development um, organization here in. in- I think the seven parish area in South Southeast Louisiana, Michael Eck is, is a, just a dynamic, um, a dynamic uh, leader, just, just like you said. Inman, um, what advice do you have for individuals who want to get involved or want to learn more, um, but aren't sure where to start or how or who to contact? From the grant making side? Yes. Yeah. So um, we of course, got a website which has pretty good basic information, but then also just directs folks on who to contact. We have a, a wide variety of 
of grant types. Uh, we do a, an open invitation grant. We just closed out a cycle. Our next cycle will be next fall. So it'll open, I think, kind of like late summer uh, with awards being handled in November is the tentative plan. Um, okay. We're always updating and evaluating. That's why I use the word tentative, but that's that's what we published so far. Then we also do occasional work where we develop uh, some very intentional strategies around our three areas of interest. And so when we do that, we'll put out a request for proposal um, for organizations to submit funding ideas. And so we just mm -hmm. did one for public safety. We've got one undergoing now for education. We'll have another one coming out for health later this year or maybe next year. So, you know, a lot of it is we're just going on familiarizing yourself. Again, we're constantly tweaking and, and working on, you know, what it means to be the most effective funder that we can be. Um, and we really, you know, we, we take on a partnership mentality. Um, one of the things that I love about BCM, and this much predates me, is really for the first few years, it was like BCM was completely underground. Some of that is you're trying to build up capacity, you're trying to learn, you don't want to get out too far over your skis. Uh, but then that became sort of this like quiet, um, very, very uh, hidden uh, investment model, right? Um, and so right now what we're trying to do is is practice organizational organizational humility, but doing that in a context where we also leverage influence and, and capacity. And so that's an interesting space to be in because we never want to be promoting ourselves. Like our desire is to always shine a light on our partners and those people who are doing the work in the field. Um, but at the same time, there is an opportunity that if you never if you never put yourself out there, you lose some leveraging opportunities. And so that's that's the space we're trying to get into. But we just love people who are doing good work, um, doing it with a high level of integrity, and who have developed sustainable models. Um, we're we're not completely risk averse either. So um, you know, there's there's got to be. Uh, certain metrics that that are important to us, but we're also, you know, we've we've been a first funder. We've been out there historically on some things before others got into it, and so that's that's built into who we are as well. And from a giving standpoint, for any of our listeners that um, are interested in becoming a partner and donating or helping uh, to raise money for the organization, where can they go to get started? Yes, yeah, so that's a great question. So we are fully funded. So we do not seek support for ourselves. Now we will, so we, we if, if you wanted to support BCM, um, go online, look at our list of grantees, find one that meets a part, point with your heart and your conviction and give to them. Okay. So that's one of the great things about being in our position is we don't have to compete with our grantees for funding. Uh, we, we can just always turn back around. You know, we do have some people, we've got some things set up historically, some trusts that that disperse out to us. So we receive some monies every year, but by and large, we just, um, the the foundation hasn't invested very well. We've been very well served by our financial advisors and um, been able to be really generous while at the same time seeing the, the corpus grow at the, the exact rate that we've desired for it to grow. And so as a result of that, we can, we can anyone who wants to give money, uh, we'll invite them to do so and point them to one of our partners. You said something something super important that I absolutely love. So Xavier alluded to my pillars of, of building building wealth earlier. My fifth pillar of building wealth is to give to others. So in, in a lot of my conversations with clients, it's 
it's to encourage them to give. And, and, and there's nothing magical about it. I don't, I don't think it's uh, if you give, you're automatically going to grow financially. I don't think it works mm-hmm. like that. But I think there's a mentality of people who give. Uh, more importantly, people who give to organizations that they're passionate about. You said, go to our list of grantees, find something that aligns with your conviction and give to it. Talk a little bit about how important it is to give to organizations that are in alignment with things that you're passionate about. Yeah. And I think it's even more important now, um, you know, and, and we're seeing people generationally, at least my experience. So I come out of pastoral ministry and I was seeing a shift in a transition giving patterns as I was winding down pastoral ministry in that you have, you, you know, the church has operated in America for several generations with systematic, consistent giving. And so you just have people like my father, who got a box of envelopes at the beginning of every, of every year. He kept that box every week. He pulled out one envelope, he wrote out a check, he stuck it in the envelope, and he put it in a plate the next morning. Well, not only like just mechanically has all of that changed, because we have the opportunity to get online, we can text you, you know, I mean, there's multiple ways to do that. So not only has it changed kind of in the mechanical sense, but it's also, I think, changed in just the methodological sense in that my generation, certainly the generations, I'm kind of in the middle generation. Uh, so I'm still a pretty systematic giver, although that giving um, is less about an envelope and you know a check, and it's more about sitting down every year and setting up an auto pay through my, my bank account. But also, I think especially the generation that follows us, there's such a heart connection with giving. And so I think, you know, for those who are seeking to generate funding, I think there's a need, we have this constant need through storying, through effectiveness, that we've got to put ourselves in front of people and connect with them in a way that align, not not manipulating their hearts, but in just trying to connect with people who are like-minded and share that interest. From a convictional standpoint, in terms of giving, um, you know, that's 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 really what motivates us is finding those things that just speak to to what's significant to us. You know, for me, that is um, you know, what organizations or sometimes individuals or small groups are lined up with with my own understanding of the scriptures, you know, whether that's their mission, what they're seeking to do, or whether it's my own opportunity to give and to speak into a situation. I was thinking, um, Eric, as you were kind of posing the question, it was pushing me back, you know, one of the core experiences in my own life is um, my wife and I did an international adoption. So about 2013, when our daughter came home, and there's so many different things that that come out of that, but I'll, I'll share one particular story and then, and then, well, two stories. So one story, this guy starts attending my church. I hardly knew him. He and his, his family had come two or three Sundays and he was a pastor. I made a lunch appointment with him. We're sitting down over lunch at an Italian restaurant. And at the end of lunch, he says, hey, I just want to give this to you. The Lord prompted me to give this to you. So I take it, I, I look, and I, I saw the amount first. And it, it um, we're in the middle, I should set the context, we're in the middle of this international adoption. So if for those of your folks who are familiar with that, you know the cost involved in that and the fate that goes into it. For those of you who aren't, it, it's very it's very expensive to do that, but you feel called to do it and you trust in the Lord's provision. 
So he pushes across. Well, I'm expecting that this check in the in the payee section is going to have the name of my church. And it took me a minute to realize that this was a pretty significant sum of money. And the check was made out to me. And I didn't even know this guy. I mean, barely knew him. We became, you know, relatively close over the course of the next years for a variety of reasons. But I mean, it was just the Lord had prompted him to do this and he did it. And you know, I'm just sitting there. He didn't know. I don't even think he knew we were adopting internationally. So it wasn't like, hey, I found out about this. I'm giving t- to you. It's just the Lord put this amount and this person on my heart. And so I'm following through with that. So, you know, as I trace that out, number one, it was hugely impactful in the moment. But we have to, bef- I, this is one of my foundational convictions. Before you can be a good giver, you have to be willing to receive other people's generosity. And I think that's one of the things that is. Can you, say that, can you say that again? So in my conviction, in my experience, in order to be a very, very generous giver, we have to be able to receive as well. Because just think about that for a second, right? And even in a small way. So my brother-in-law works for Waffle House and I wanted to give a gift to somebody and they sell like, I don't even know if they sell it, but he can get waffle mix, right? Uh, waffle House waffle mix. And so I just reached out to him. I was like, hey, I want to give a gift to somebody. Can I get a bag or two of waffle mix? He was like, sure. Um, so I'm like, well, what do I owe you? He texts me back, 23 cents. I was like, well, that doesn't sound like the actual cost. He's like, you don't owe me anything. And so I'm telling my wife this and, it, and, and she's like, you know, well, just send him $50. And I was like, no, I don't want to send him $50 because if, if, if this was reversed and I had given, I wanted to give it to him as a gift. I would want him to receive it. And if he won't receive it and he Venmo's me 50 bucks, then he's just robbed me of, of the joy of giving. And so I have to make sure that I'm willing to occasionally be the recipient of someone else's generosity, right? Before I can really, you know, because again, somebody's got to receive, right? So so be a good receiver. Be a, not, not an expected one, you know, don't ever get that, you know, not with your hands out pulling, but just on those occasions where the Lord wants to bless you through somebody else, be willing to receive that blessing. Um, but then out of that, like that guy's generosity just enlightened a spiritual sensitivity in me to where on at least two or three occasions, you know, what I've done is I've just said, Lord, that's the amount that you put on his heart. And so when you put that specific urging in my heart, I'm going to assume that that's what you want me to do for someone else on an individual level. And, you know, it's amazing, like, the, and again, I hear this as like, the Lord's put the name on my heart, the Lord's put the timing on my heart, the Lord's given, you know, all of that, I would give full and proper credit to the Lord. Um, but it's amazing what happens when you do that. And then the way some, you know, for me, going back to this gentleman and saying, hey, you know, I don't even think you realize we're the Mills International Adoption, your gift was just an incredible blessing. And this is specifically what it enabled us to do. And then to see other people, as the Lord has put it on my heart, in those moments where we've had some that we could give away, um, just to see how that same thing is true for them. The other piece that I learned out of out of adoption is sometimes we have to be able to be willing to do things that, in the world's eyes, don't make financial sense. And you know, my wife and I, again, I'm just I'm trying to share things honestly and openly. But my wife and I made a particular decision that that it was less important for us to fund for retirement than it was to follow the Lord's call on our lives to engage in international adoption. And so we just trusted in the Lord's provision in the future and and said, you know what, this is 
the Lord's given us some some margin here, and so this is how we're going to use it. And I have full confidence that the Lord will honor that, that He'll bless that. And unless I'm telling this story, I don't ever think about that. Uh, I don't yeah. ever look at my yeah. daughter and think, hmm. you know, um, I look at my daughter and just think, wow, what a blessing she is to me. And and I know that, again, even though, you know, from a financial planning standpoint, that might not have been the wisest decision. It, it was the right decision. It was the right two things. Two things. Financial planning, wisest decision. I'm going to hold that thought. I'm going to put that out there in case I forget. Remind me. Uh, but one of the things that you said, and I'm not even going to ask the question because you said it already, is oftentimes when we give, we think that we're helping other people. But in so many cases, we're actually receiving something in return. You talked about the joy of, of giving. And I love that you said it, don't rob people the joy of giving. I had this exact conversation recently with a friend of mine who recently had uh, a, a pretty significant surgery. It was very, very, very expensive. A lot of unknowns, financial. Uh, we launched the GoFundMe, and I like GoFundMe kind of like sometimes I'm like, oh, yeah. man, GoFundMe. But let me tell you, the the joy to see, to be in a position to have to receive from other people was is, is humbling. The money didn't come to me for it. I was just participating. But it was really cool to see people give and like, man, and to see the joy of them participating in someone else's story and someone else's narrative. And, and even if we have the funds to do something on our own, I think sometimes, like you said, like, yeah, you could have set up 50 bucks for the wobble mix, but, but man, what, what a blessing it is to let someone else participate in your story. That's right. I love that. That Dr. Matt, you know, Matt, Matt Morris, we had, we had, that's how I met you through, through Matt. We did a podcast recently on, um, there was that TikTok trend about how often do you talk about Rome, right? The, the ladies are asking their, their husbands or brothers or boyfriends, how often do you think about Rome? So I thought it'd be fun to do a podcast on how often you think about Rome, but look at it from Stoic philosophy, right? And what are the Stoics, since that was the main philosophy during Roman time, what did they have to say about money? And Marcus Aurelius said something very interesting. He talked about wealth, about one of the great things about wealth is that you can always meet people's needs. But then he said something that, that I love that, that we should use our wealth to meet the needs of others. Then he said something that didn't sit well with me. And it was because then you'll never be in a position to have to accept help from anybody else. I'm like, oh man, I love using wealth to help others, but man, we should always avail ourselves. Even if it's someone that you know that doesn't have money. But I was in, I went to go visit Cuba in 2011 and Cuban people, that's where my family's from. They don't have anything. But when you, when I went there, they would treat us like kings. And mm -hmm. They would like give us the best food that they have. And it's like, you feel bad, but at the same time, like, no, you know what? I'm going to let them, I'm going to let them give to me because I know what it means to them. So I'm glad that you said that. And then the wisdom of financial planning. One of the things that we do here is we love to talk to people about what we're calling statement of financial purpose. Like, like what is your purpose in life? And let's make sure your money aligns with it. Because 20, 30 years from now, when you're looking back on your life, and you're asked the question, what do you wish you would have done more of? Most of the time, it's not going to be worked harder or made more money. It's going to be, man, maybe, maybe I wish we would have adopted more kids. I wish we would have supported these things more. So I love the fact that people make purposeful, intentional decisions that don't make financial sense, but align with their values. And that is 
to me, that's what it's about at the end of the day. So, man, thank, thanks for that story. I appreciate, uh, yeah. appreciate that. We are coming up on our time here. Xavier, you, you, I see a question on your face before we end. I'm just sitting here listening to this, uh, the tail end of this conversation and, and just thinking, you know, allow people to give to you um, yeah. because you never know, you know, how they feel. Powerful. Thank you for those stories. Yeah. Awesome. Inman, man, thank you for taking time yeah, today. Thank, thank you. Guys. For, um, thank you for your work. I feel like we can go like another two hours here, but yeah. we probably need to cut it off. Otherwise, we're going to become a Joe Rogan. Uh, <laughs> man, thanks again, man. Hey, thank you guys. Thank you for I really being enjoyed on. it. It's a great blessing. Thanks, guys. All right. Thank you. Information presented and discussed on the Stuff About Money podcast is for educational purposes only and does not constitute direct financial advice. Be sure to consult with a qualified financial advisor prior to implementing any strategies discussed. Eric Garcia and Xavier Angel's branch office is located in New Orleans, Louisiana. The branch phone number is 504-218-5479. Securities offered through Osaic Wealth Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through New Century Financial Group, LLC. A registered investment advisor. Osaic Wealth is separately owned and other entities and or marketing names, products, or services referenced here are independent of Osaic Wealth. Hey, agents, listen to this. Listen to this. What are we terrible at? Think of it. Think of it. Really? We're, we're terrible at training, right? We're not very good at hiring. We're not very good, terrible at firing, actually. Uh, terrible at creating process and some workflows. Terrible at technology and implementing that technology and even knowing what type of technology we want. And the list goes on and on. Now, listen, I'm an agency owner. And I, you know how it is to, to fix a problem. The first thing you've got to do is you got to admit you have a problem. Here's what you do. Go to virtualintel.com. Check out what we do because we do all those bad things that you can't do. Really? And you may do one or two of them well. Good for you if you can do them all. Just want you to know you're in the minority. But if you can't do any of them good or you don't even want to do them anymore because it just takes too much mental power, then good for you for realizing that and give us a call. I'm telling you, virtual intelligence, that's what we do. And where we specialize in high quality VEs, not virtual assistants. Look it up. Go to ChatGPT. Put in what's the difference between a virtual assistant and a virtual employee. Enough said. I don't have enough time to go on and on about all the differences on this 60 second commercial but you've got time to search it and look at it that's what we do we deliver high quality ve's we mix the technology with it we train them on the technology give them and the technology to you and you're off to the races i'm not joking with you you can call my agency at any time ask for lordland and we do ask her say how fast are you able to do quotes i've actually got a couple videos of it that's right we can do five to ten carriers in one quote in three to seven minutes so you give me an auto quote i can do five to ten carriers in three to seven minutes how are we doing it we're doing it through the technology of virtual intelligence give us a call check us out you can ask for me personally i'll do the demo for you who are they cast certified